Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. So our our reading today is uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 20. And uh, so I actually am going to read the whole passage, uh, and then we're going to jump into it. Um, so, uh, if you, if you got your Bible apps, <laughs> that's, that's how we roll. There's no shade to anybody. Like it's all good. It's still a word, right? So if you got your Bible apps, or if you actually got a, a, a paper Bible, a real book in your hand, we're going to the gospel of Luke. Uh, so if you go New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's that third book. And then it's Luke chapter 10. And Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Um, if you got it, say, I got it. I got it. All right. If you, if you don't have it, say, hold up. And if you ain't looking for it anyway, say, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm reading out of the ESV, uh, English Standard Version. Uh, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whoever, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
May God add a blessing to the reader, to the hearer, but most importantly to the doer of his holy word. Amen? Amen. I got a little, I'm scared, of, I'm, I've been trying, I feel like I'm ringing a little bit. If you want to try to bring me down just a tad bit, because I'm, that's why I didn't, I didn't go for it all the way. I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, um, so, so, we're, so we're talking about, I try to keep it really simple, right? So we're talking about what really matters. And, and so as we, as we walk through this text, and I'm going I'm to jump around just a little bit, so we won't necessarily go, it'll still be verse by verse, but we'll go in different sections and in a different order. So we'll talk about what, what really matters to the apostles, and, and we'll talk about what really matters to us, and we'll talk about what really matters to Jesus. Amen. And so, to begin with, right? So, <clears throat> what really matters to the apostles? So you've been following along, right? Uh, we're with the Gospel of Luke. And so by, by now, I hope y'all know this is what? This is what? Good, good news. Great joy. And it's for who? For all the people, right? And so first, what really matters to the apostles, right? So we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. And if you read other Gospel accounts, you see the apostles. And, and actually, they're pretty clear about what matters to them, right? Uh, so I'll give you some of the things that matters to them. Uh, so Matthew 10, 17, right? They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So what matters to them is doing great things things. Hmm. Doing great things. They, they've come in they've, and, and Jesus sent them out. And, you know, they've been with him and, and, and they've been arguing about different things and talking about stuff and, and they finally get their mission. So, you know, he sends the 12 out a little earlier and so now he's sending out the 72 and so there's some, there's some manuscript, uh, some textual variants where some of them have Jesus sends out the 70 and some of them have Jesus sends out the 72. Um, little sidebar, this is one of the ways that you can actually know that the word of God is true. Um, because when people are trying to hide stuff, they don't tell you the whole truth. So just the idea, here's what we have. We have some really, really old manuscripts. And some of them say they're 70. And some of them say they're 72. Um, and from that, some people go, see, that's why you can't trust the Bible. Because is it 70 or 72? And so I think that's kind of lame because... You know, you just kind of let it be known what's going on. And so we're not sure which manuscripts are there. So it was either 72 that he had sent out or 70 that he sent out. So that's where we're at. So they, so they go out, right? And so they, they're going from town to town. They're doing these things. And so, you know, they're healing folks and they're, they're casting out demons. And there's these supernatural things that are happening. And so when they come back, they come back. And, of course, they tell Jesus about the great things that they've been doing. They, they do kind of cover it up a little bit because they say, Lord, we've been doing great things in your name. <laughs> so, you know, Jesus is like, you know, we, it, it's, it's us, you know. It's like, it's like Batman and Robin, right? Like, you know, it's Batman. Like, you know, I'm doing something with you. And, and so, you know, Jesus is you, but, you know, I'm your sidekick and we're getting this done and we're handling this, right? And so this is what matters to the apostles. And so now, here's a here, rhetorical question. Is there anything wrong with doing great things? things for the kingdom of God? I said rhetorical. I lied. It's not a rhetorical question. I don't know why I said it. Why did I say that? I didn't even mean that. I told you I'm off today. 
No, rhetorical question is one where you don't say nothing. I need y'all to say something. Y'all already kind of sort of have don't say nothing. So if I, don't, if I tell you not to say nothing, I'm really going to lose you. So <laughs> is there anything wrong with doing great things for the kingdom of God? No. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I was talking to uh, I was talking to Anthony the other day, uh, and then another time we were talking to uh, Sister Jennifer Fancher. We were hanging out, and I was like, "Yo, ain't nothing wrong with ambition, right?" The Bible don't say don't be ambitious. The Bible says do nothing from selfish ambition. If you're going to overthrow the kingdom of heaven, a hell, if you're going to overthrow Satan. See, this isn't just about us scheming and trying to figure things out. But if we're going to do great things, we have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you have to seek for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles are like, yo, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But their issue is their motives. It's not like, I don't know if some of you ask the old folks, you say, baby, it ain't, it ain't, sometimes it ain't what you do. It's how you do it. And then sometimes it ain't what you do, but it's why you do it. Another thing that really matters to the apostles is being known as the best. That was a thing for them. They were like, yo, I want, I like, it's, it's me and Jesus, right? And so, and well, okay, we're in Luke 10, but if you walk back through, there's multiple verses. If you go to Matthew 8, you know, the disciples of the time of Jesus, uh, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, we just kind of wondered, you know. We just kind of talking about different little stuff, and we just happen to wonder, like, Jesus, who's number one? You know, so they had a little bit of Ricky Bobby gospel. If you ain't first, you're last. So uh, it's all right. If you're under 30, you won't get that. It's all right. And so, but it's this idea that they are jockeying for position, and they're even jostling amongst themselves. And Jesus, he's like, he comes and gets a child, puts a child in the midst of him, says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, in Mark 9, 33, and they came to Capernaum. Put a little pin in that, because they're at Capernaum, right? And we'll talk about Capernaum in a little while. Uh, and when he was in the house, he asked them, so uh, what were y'all discussing on the way? So, you know, Jesus kind of walking, doing his thing. And so they, they you know, kind of behind him a little bit. And they, you know, they talking. And so now Jesus, you know, it's one of the things where it's like, uh, so like, I, like my kids and then now my grandkids, like, you know, they'll do something. And, I, and sometimes I'll say, so um, did, did you wash your hands? As a parent, as a grandparent, you already know the answer. You're trying to give them an opportunity to just be honest and to be forthcoming. Uh, uh, did you take out the trash? Um, um, did you clean up your room? Uh, did, did you hear me? <laughs> See, notice that all the teenagers in the back, they, they chilling. They ain't saying nothing. It's all good. And so it is what it is. We, me and you understand, bro. The rest of my own know. So, but, and so, but what happens is, you know, these, they're, like, they're like these little bad kids in the back. They're like, ooh, what? Like, I don't want to tell them what we was talking about because, you know, it's going to make us look bad. Uh, it says, but they kept silent for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. 
John, you know, they, they go through, he has, he has a, the kid, he puts the kid there. John says, uh, you know, kind of trying to switch the subject, right? He said, well, you know, uh, Lord, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Well, wait a minute. I've been rolling with Jesus for like three years. You can't just come through trying to tag on, trying to get the benefits. Hold on now, bro. It's levels to this thing. You can't just, oh, wait a minute. And so they're rebuking this guy who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. He said, no. If somebody, once again, the apostles are jockeying about who's the best. And so then they see somebody that's not with them. It's like, okay, well, you know, if, and so this is the thing, you, you want to watch out for this, okay? This is a thing that, that's called a scarcity mentality. And, and so the idea is, let, let's say there's a pie, right? And so if there's a pie, you know, we cut it in half, now there's two pieces. We cut it again, now it's four pieces. We cut it again, now it's eight pieces. So we go, okay, eight pieces in the pie. So if everybody gets equal, we have their eight, seven other people can have a slice of pie. I can have a slice, seven other people can have a slice. So, but if you got other people, more than seven people, more than eight people that are hungry, then people start thinking, wait, wait, wait. Because mm. if, if they get something, I'm going to lose it. Or if they get accolades, it's going, I'm going to lose it. Or if it's, it's called, a, it's like a zero something where if anything happens good for another person, it has to be at the expense of me. Like if I gain, they must lose. Or if they gain, I have to lose. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, heaven does not operate with the scarcity mentality. You have a Lord God who the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There's a brother named uh, Andy Crouch. He has a few books out. One of the books he has out is called The Techwise Family. It's a very good book. Another book he has out is called Playing God. And so in this book, he gives the example where uh, he, his family, they all play an instrument except for him. So they need one more person to be able to do like a, like a string quartet. And so he decides that he's going to learn how to play an instrument uh, from somebody who teaches, right? And so what happens is he, he's learning how to play the instrument. And what he says is, he says, that person who has mastered this instrument, when they teach me something, they don't lose anything. They don't lose power. They don't lose ability. They, they, they might lose a little bit of hearing after they hear me play real bad. And they might have to, it might get on their nerves a little bit, right? But what happens is when somebody who is an expert who has power shares that knowledge, shares that information with another person, what you actually get is you get duplication and you get multiplication. And so God does not lose power when he shares power because he has all power. And so because you're his people, you don't lose power when you share power because he has given you all power. He's given you access to the power. The power's his, don't get it twisted, but he's given you access to that power. It's all right, amen goes right there, it's okay. I know that, because it's true. 
Amen just means let it be as you have said, or it's true. So if it's true, you say amen. amen. If it's not true, you, you better call Pastor Thurman, like, hey, don't let book get up here and say stuff, because he, <laughs> hey, because he's dude suspect. I'm just saying. And so, but the apostles didn't get that. They didn't understand that, because so they're arguing. And so then, you know, hey, let me tell you something else that was important to the apostles. Another thing that was important to the apostles was financial stability and wealth. It's a good thing that nobody here cares about financial stability and wealth. That was sarcasm, just in case you, my wife says I'm not very good at sarcasm, that was sarcasm. So, once again, these are not bad things. Jesus seeing that he had become sad. So there's another verse in, in Luke 18 where he's talking about the, the rich young ruler and the guy has his money and Jesus says, go sell everything, give it to the poor, come follow me. And the guy's sad and he walks away. And Jesus is like, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and then those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? What, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. When we came and followed you, this was a little bit of a business decision. <laughs> I want, because, like, I, look, hey, I had a good job. I, look, like James and Johnny, like, look, my daddy had a fishing company, and we was making money. We was making bread. And so I was there, and now I'm sitting up here, and I'm going back and forth with you, and I got a wife. My wife, like, well, what you doing? Well, I'm following Jesus. And she's like, well, I need you to follow the money. Okay, you, I need you, because that's where I'm at. See, that's a real conversation. And, and so they're going through these things, and they're moving back and forth. And so part of it was, if he's the Messiah, and he's the king, then it's going to be good to be attached or to be connected to the king. Because there are certain benefits that would come with being attached and connected to the king. Financial stability and wealth. The ability to do great things. Even being known as the best, having a good reputation. None of those things are bad things, brothers and sisters but in their wrong place, they become idols. Because contrary to what you may have heard, an idol usually is a good thing that just gets elevated to a God thing. But because there's only one God that can be on the throne of your life, when you elevate something else, the true God gets knocked off the throne. Or matter of fact, you take him off the throne. And Jesus is like, wait a minute. Uh, Peter's like, wait a minute, Lord. He, and Peter actually put him and say, say, hold on, wait a minute. You talking about some, uh, it's, it's hard for wealthy folks to get into heaven. Peter say, uh, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So, so Peter's like, uh-uh. Mm. Like, you guys ain't trying to do all this super spiritual stuff. Like, what, like with him, what's in it for me? He, he needs to know. And so these are the things that are important to the apostles. But notice, these aren't things that have just been important to the apostles. <laughs> these are things that were important to Judas, right? <laughs> you look and say, you get a chance in John 12, like G Judas is like, uh, this lady comes and does a good thing for Jesus, and Judas is like, well, you know, we could have sold that, and we could have gave that money to the poor. And so it's really cool because the Bible does these little parenthetical phrases, like where these things, like these kind of asides, and it's like, now, nah, just so y'all know, Judas didn't say that because he really cared about poor people. Judas said that because he was a thief and he used to steal because he held a money bag. And so Jesus, Judas is saying that because he was trying to make a come up. 
Well, they don't say make a come up. That's the Robinson transliteration. But <laughs> so you, Simon the magician in Acts 8, he was another guy. He, matter of fact, he had got baptized. And so it was like he had come to faith in the Lord. And so Peter comes into town and they're casting out demons. And so Simon says, yo, how much money does it take for me, for you to be able, I want to be able to do the stuff that you're doing. And I got money and I'm going to give it to you because if, if I can get this, this, this power, then I'll have a great reputation. And I'll have financial stability and wealth. And I'll have prestige. And I'll have a name and I'll have stability. And so, you know, I got kids in the audience, so he says, uh, I'm not gonna say what he actually says, good chance, talk, talk to your Greek scholars. Uh, Peter says, uh, sir, you and your money uh, can go jump in the lake. That's it, that's the, yeah, that's it, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Potential pastors and preachers though, Titus 1.7, he's talking about, I love the King James, where it says to not be ambitious for filthy lucre. And so some people preach Christ. Paul has enemies in Philippians. He's like, yeah, the guys are preaching Christ. Some of them are preaching Christ with good reasons. Some of them are preaching Christ to harm me. But in all things, Christ is preached. And so these are some of the things that are mattering to the apostles. But let me ask you this. What really matters to you? So, you know, in seminary, we learn this thing called far and near, right? So far is we talk about like the, the text and the, the person or the people that are being dealt with in the text, the original audience, right? So we talk about them and we see what we can pull, what the word is saying and what it would have said it was directed to those people. And so that's far, right? And then we bring it near and we ask, okay, so what does this mean to, to me? How can I apply this based on first, not starting with myself, but starting with the original audience and then saying, okay, how can I put this in for me? And so that's one of the questions, what really matters to you? And so we'll talk about the things that matter to Jesus, but before we get into that, here's some of the things that should matter to you based on this passage, and we're going to move into this, right? One thing that should matter to you is the reality of hell. I know that's not, that's not a thing that's spoken of or discussed in a lot of places. I'm not saying people don't ever talk about that. But there's a reality of hell. There's a reality of separation. There's a reality that people who have chosen to reject the Messiah, who have chosen to put their faith in something other than the saving power of Jesus, who have chosen not to embrace the love that he offers, there is a wrath and there is a judgment that abides because sin is not overlooked. Sin is not ignored. Sin is not downplayed. Now, we might do that, but God doesn't do that. There's the reality of the new heavens and the new earth. That is a thing that the Lord wants to matter to us. God is renewing things. We, we talk a lot, especially in this particular church and in the New City Network, about justice, about reconciliation. Part of the reason why we can move and why we can fight the good fight, 
why we can have days where it's hard but we don't have to give up hope is because we know of a certainty there is a Jesus and he is coming back. His title that he calls himself is a son of man and he left in the clouds. He's going to return in the clouds. And when he comes back out of the clouds, he's going to set all things right. And whatever is wrong, he will make right. And the, when you, that, that was, that's what we can hold on and cling to when everything looks wrong in this world. And oh, brothers and sisters, there's so many things that look wrong and are wrong in this world. But I want to talk about what really matters to Jesus, right? So we talked about, you know, what matters to the apostles. And sometimes we can get tripped up with some of the same things they get tripped up in. We, don't, we need to be really careful, you know, looking at them and looking down on them because we have this hindsight, right? And we talked about kind of what matters, what should matter to you. And, was, and the reason why it should matter to you, um, the reality of hell and the reality of the new heavens and the new earth, is because these are things that matter to Jesus. And so Luke 10, 20. One of the things that matters to Jesus is that his people's names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 20, it, you know, they come back and they're like, yo, we cast out demons, we're doing big things. He's like, nevertheless, do, he, matter of fact, he just even tells them, I've given you authority to tread on scorpions, to tread on serpents, as some people have taken this literally, and they, they, you see some folks that actually they handle snakes and they got the scorpions, and it becomes like a thing, it's almost like a parlor trick. Uh, some people say, well, no, that's, that's metaphorical, because you know, Satan you know, as, as a serpent, as a scorpion, and so you know, we're, we're treading underfoot those things which are on the ground, and so, but Jesus said, whether it's literal or metaphorical, Jesus actually tells them, don't rejoice in the authority that I've given you. What, what, wait a minute, no, no, no. If, if I have the ability to cast out demons, like, that's pretty dope. Like, I'm gonna be happy about that. I'm just, I don't know about y'all, but I'm gonna be happy about that. If like, you could do something, like, it's almost like a superpower. Like, how you get somebody a superpower and say, don't trip off of being a superhero. If I could fly, man, I'd be, I'd be levitating right now if I could fly. Just, you know why? Because I can. But what Jesus says, what really matters to Jesus, he says, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in this ability. Don't rejoice in this thing you can do that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And the reason why we can rejoice that our names are written in heaven is because your name being written as heaven is what actually gives you the power to be able to have spirits subject to you, to have demons subject to you. Your name written in heaven is, is what actually gives you the power to overcome when real struggles and real obstacles come in your way. The, your name being written in heaven is what gives you the ability to have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So your name being written in heaven, it gives you union with Christ. Your name being written in heaven, there's this idea um, 
called perichoresis. Some of y'all heard me talk about this. But so peri, uh, if you think about a perimeter, it's around, right? Y'all with me? Are y'all tracking? I gotta know, I gotta know, I gotta know. I forgot, they're Presbyterian, so I need, so I need chins and pins. Okay, bam! I know y'all with, that's the, that's the Presbyterian amen, it's chins and pins. All right. And then sometimes you get an eye raise. And so, so peri is around, like a perimeter, right? Like your perimeter is the area around something. And then choresis, it comes from the word like choreography. So the idea is choreography is usually when people are moving together, right? So this idea of perichoresis loosely is this theological concept that there is the Father and there's the Son and there's the Holy Spirit and the three of them are engaged in this type of dance or this choreographed dance where they are moving around in harmony with one another. And what happens is every time somebody comes to Christ, every time the covenant community is increased, then, these, then this person joins in the dance. And so what's actually happening is every time a believer comes to faith, this circle gets bigger, this dance gets bigger, and so from every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every language, every continent, every age, there are believers who have their names written in heaven, and that is what Jesus rejoices in, and that's what he tells us to rejoice in. Oh, it's so good. And so because we have this perichoresis, I know that the Lord is with me because I know the Holy Spirit is in me. And so I know that no matter how hard it gets, I can lean on the Lord and I can trust in him and I know he'll never reject me. What's important to Jesus is acceptance and rejection. So, you know, they're moving into this place uh, and, I, and I tell you it will be, so like Jesus, like he's telling, okay, when they go in, um, He's actually talking about how the people respond. So he talks about uh, Sodom, and you can look up Sodom, and there are multiple reasons why the town of Sodom was destroyed. And he says, but I tell you what, it's going to be better and easier and more bearable for Sodom than it's going to be for Chorazin. It's going to be better and easier for Sodom than it's going to be for Bethsaida or Bethesda. It's going to be better for Sodom, more bearable for Sodom than it's going to be for Capernaum. So Capernaum was one of the places where there was like kind of Jesus' main like territory. Like, like Capernaum and Bethany was like the two towns where he did a whole lot of his like kind of his camps or his outposts, right? And what he's saying is if you see all these good things that God is doing, if you see the spirit coming, if you see demons being cast out, if you see uh, people being healed, if you hear the gospel preached and you still don't repent, there is nothing left except for wrath. Even says Capernaum, you shall be brought down to Hades. Do you know that hell matters to Jesus? Hell matters to Jesus. Because he speaks about hell and eternal punishment about seven times more than he speaks about heaven. Hell matters to Jesus. Acceptance and rejection matters to Jesus. And because it matters to Jesus, it should matter to us. So Luke 10, 2, let me tell you something else that matters to Jesus. Laborers for his harvest. Luke 10, 2 says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Brothers and sisters, there is a call for us to join in the beautiful thing that God is doing. God is saving a people. And don't get it twisted, he doesn't need you because he's almighty God and he could do it without you, but he wants you and he invites you to be a part of this beautiful thing that he is doing. This is what really matters to God. One of the things that what really matters to God, actually watch this, is you being able to fulfill your purpose. Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Because when you glorify God, when you make him look good, when you put him on display, when you are his ambassador, that's when you are going to find your fulfillment. That's when you are going to find your completion. That's when you are going to be able to know that you are in a good space and that you are in sync with what the God wants you to do. So he's asking for laborers in his harvest. Another thing that matters to God, matters to Jesus, is his people not being naive. Luke 10, 3, he says, go your way, behold. Hey, hey, wait, hey, listen, listen. <laughs> I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I was listening to uh, Alistair Begg and one of the things he was talking about was this idea of lambs and wolves. And he says, if you a lamb, like, and you come up against a wolf, like, dog, what you going to do? <laughs> what you going to do? What you, what you going to, you going to grow, you going to grow like super teeth or something? Like, you going to, I mean, what you going to do? Like, you, you're not a, you're not a ram. You ain't got no horns. You a lamb. You, like, you have, you have no way to defend yourself. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to act like wolves because we're in the midst of wolves. We're trying to figure it out. And Jesus is like, no, I don't want you to be naive, but I want you to know who you are. Your protection will not come from how you can figure it out. Your protection will not come from how you can strategize. Your protection will not come from resources and how to best utilize those resources. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't budget. I'm not saying don't have a 401k. I'm not saying don't take steps in our society that are going to help you to have things. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is they're not going to protect you. You are a sheep. You are a lamb. You ain't even a grown sheep. You a baby sheep. You don't even know what's going on. If there's going to be protection and preservation for you, it will not be because you, 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 you stood up to the wolves. Because when you go as a lamb and you stand up to the wolves, they eat you up. That's, that's what happens. You're looking for like that, that's what happens. Lamb, wolf, razor teeth, no teeth. You should be a little puffy thing, ain't even got no, ain't even no, because they, they lambs, they're not even sheep, so they ain't got no wolf. So it's not like you were like a ball of wool. You just whatever's left over. Just some teeth and some bones and, and some skin. <laughs> but our power 
is in the one who protects the lambs. Our protection is in the great shepherd. That's where we lean on. What matters to Jesus, and, he, and, he, and notice this, the message is still the same because as he says, you're, 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 you are the laborers in the harvest, and the message is the same whether people accept you or reject you. In Luke 10, 9, he says, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In Luke 10 and 11, if they reject you, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So the message is the same, that the kingdom of God has come near. Brothers and sisters, what matters to Jesus is you. You are not only the laborers, but you are the harvest. If you're in Christ and your spiritual formation, your sanctification, you growing and learning and maturing in Christ, that's part of the harvest. Because the Bible says that people will see your good works and do what, y'all? Will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Part of the reason why we are going out into the field, part of the reason why we are endeavoring to do a thing that people tell us ought not, cannot, should not, is not able to be done is because we are not depending on our power because who are we? We the lambs. But oh, brothers and sisters, we're the lambs, but you know who we're connected to? We're connected to the lamb of Judah. We're connected to that. But the lamb that we serve, he's also a lion. He's the lamb and the lion. Oh, the gospel is simple. Hear the gospel today because I want you to be able to take this gospel, this good news to other people and to preach it to yourself. Because the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that keeps you. That you were created to flourish. The Bible does not start with Genesis 3. The Bible starts with Genesis 1. God's first command is a blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Fill it. Go be great. But Satan is a hater. And he can't stand your greatness. He can't stand you being who God has called you to be. And so the same way he weaseled in with Adam and Eve, and he tricked them. It, it, did God really say, is, is, is God really good? Mm, you don't matter to God. What matters to God is him being selfish and him holding out on you. But the gospel, they reject God. They don't trust God. They do not put their faith in God. And they earn death. They earn separation. They earn eternal condemnation and God gives them what they do not deserve and does not give them what they do deserve. Not only does he not murder them, not only does he not kill them for rebelling against him, for sinning against him, for trying to overthrow his dominion, for imitating Satan, but what he does is when they are naked, trying to clothe themselves with leaves, things that are dying as soon as they pull from them, he clothes them. He covers their nakedness. 
He covers their sin. And even as he banishes them out of the garden, that is an act of love because in not being able to eat from the tree of everlasting life, they are not able to live forever separated from him. And in Genesis 3.15, he says, there will come the seed of the woman who will fix, who will restore what has been, what has gone awry, what has been tampered with, what has been perverted. So the gospel is that you were made for greatness. But in the same way that Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion marred them and keeps them from being and kept them from fulfilling their goal and their purpose, your sin, the evil that you do, or the good things that you do not do, separates you from a holy God. And God's beauty is that he says, oh, no, no, no. I love you too much. I'm not going to let you stay where you're at. Jesus, I need you to come down and take care of these people. And so the father sends the son, and the son comes down, lives a perfect life. He never sins. He only ever does what is right. He is railroaded. He is betrayed. So when you feel alone and when you feel betrayed and feel you feel like nobody understands you, he knows how you feel. And not only that, but here's the thing. You and I, we done done bad stuff to folks. And so sometimes, you know, we do bad stuff. Other folks do bad stuff. Sometimes we get done wrong, right? He never did anything wrong to anyone. And what he received was a cross. He was murdered. He was assassinated. But his blood covers my sin. His blood covers your sin. And he says, well, Here's a choice. You can keep on trying to do the best you know how. Trying to figure it out, trying to hustle, trying to, trying to, trying to orchestrate things and how, how to, to make it work and keep on failing and keep on being frustrated and not quite understand what's going on. It would be such a shame to live a life full of hell where you are distraught and hurt and not able to fulfill the plans of God for your life and then to die and go to hell forever. When Christ says, I died for you, I've paid the penalty for your sin, I've covered you, and I want you to be in relationship with me and in relationship with all of the other saints from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who have ever been a part of the church invisible, of the church universal. So what really mattered to the apostles was like making a name for themselves, right? Or, or making sure they got recognized and making sure they got props for what they were doing. Um, what really matters to Jesus, though, is us being faithful stewards of the gift of the gospel. Of us, he, what matters to him is that we're not naive. What matters to him is that we are declaring the kingdom of heaven is near with our words sometimes, with our actions sometimes, with our entire lives always. And what matters to Jesus is that if you are in Christ, your name is written in heaven. And you have access to all of the beautiful things that your heavenly Father and that your big brother Jesus have procured for you. Pray with me. Thanks for listening, and God bless.